You're listening to the Kilcullen Diary Podcasts. Stories in sound from a village grown bigger. Hello, I'm Brian Byrne and this is Kilcullen Diary. Do you know what a pitch pole is? Or a winnower? A thistle cutter is kind of self-explanatory, but what about a litrum loy? Or why was sugar pulp considered the most valuable addition to feed for cows, horses, sheep, pigs and poultry? We're now a largely urban society in Ireland, but most of us are just a couple or so generations from forebears who made their living on the land or who worked for them. Mechanisation changed things, much of it centred around locally built agricultural implements. The bits that the horses used to, and then the traction engines and tractors later, pull across the land. Cutting it, turning it, seeding it, harvesting. At the Irish Agricultural and Folk Life Museum in Johnstown Castle outside Wexford, this heritage is clear. The collection of farm implements and machinery ranges from way back, and for a townie is fascinating, if only to realise how many ways there are of churning, turning, prodding and piercing the ground. It's appropriate that the museum is located in Wexford because the craft of making farm implements and machines was embedded in the southeast. Names like Pierce of Wexford, Fogarty of Castlecomer and Sheens of Wicklow made their way onto fields all over the island, and indeed to well beyond, to other continents in some cases. The Pierce family are particularly well represented in the museum, with the famous Wexford Foundry's own dedicated presentation opened just last year. Originating in the early 1800s, when John Pierce took over his father's forge and began making his reputation with a growing line of hand tools. His descendants became wealthy as they developed and produced specialist farm machinery and bicycles that were favoured by Michael Collins, among others. As well as the ploughshares and harrows and harvesters and other things in the foreign language of agriculture, there is a really good collection of traps and carts and delivery wagons. These were drawn by ponies and horses before, and even for some time after, the motor car engines and tractors changed horse legs to an equivalent calculation of horsepower. From when I was still a child in the 1950s, I can remember pony traps tied up on Sundays to rings in the wall opposite our village church. Some of those rings are still there, possibly a puzzlement to today's generation of youngsters. In addition to personal and commercial transport, there were mobile living spaces. There is a quite beautiful barrel-top caravan in the collection, the last built by the renowned William O'Connor of New Ross in 1989, using traditional methods and materials. It's the main exhibit in a tiny but perfectly executed corner about the life and culture of our travellers, before they shifted to the van or SUV-towed modern caravan. The barrel top was equivalent maybe to the camper van of today, but for permanent living you'd have to wonder. But then, today, there's no Madeland. The exhibit sets at Johnstown Castle are much more than just about agricultural technology. They offer a map of social movement in Ireland. 
A famine museum section begins the journey through the harshest and most terrible endurances. For many of us, our great-grandparents would have come out of that time. A folk memory of the famine is embedded in all of us, but if you want to find some of the detail, it can be acquired in a nicely compact way in this exhibit. I can guarantee you will find surprises. There's a particular note about a forgotten Polish hero of the Irish famine, one Paul Strzelecki, who saved thousands of lives by the innovative and effective system of providing meals to children through the schools. How that same famine led to the introduction of strong Irish populations in the Americas and Australia is also detailed. And there's a recreation of the office of Dr. G. H. Petteridge OBE, a Cornwall-born scientist who established a field laboratory at Clifton in Mayo to study the potato blight that initiated the tragedy. His research results, published in the early 1900s on a range of potato diseases, have ever since been of great help to farmers. There are exhibits in full old detail of a carpenter's workspace, a blacksmith's forge and a tailor's shop, each of which look as if their owners have just stepped out for a moment or two. A dairy room with a range of equipment for processing milk and making related products will provide its own fascination for those whose closest experience to cheesemaking is a shelf in the nearest Tesco or Lidl. One advertising poster is for Centenary Butter from Ballyduff, Ireland's Best, originated to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the 1798 Rebellion. The rosy-cheeked woman in uniform, a tricolour waving behind her, was political butter branding and way ahead of Tony O'Reilly's simply commercial invention of Kerrygold. Moving on through living in the Ireland of the first half of the 1900s and then into the next half, the one that I remember, brings us to the point where everything began to change, to the beginning of the labour-saving home gadgetry that we take for granted today. There's a set of three kitchens, side by side, starting from the single room that comprised kitchen and living area in the peasant cottages, we can look through into the 1930s style and eventually reach the relatively tiny kitchen and separate dining and living spaces that became the norm when electricity and its appliances came along in the 1950s. How that electricity changed our daily lives is visible in a display of radios, hair dryers, electric shavers, kettles, toasters and hoovers, and of course early electric washing machines. Beside those, a hand-cranked mangle for squeezing the wet out of washed clothing, with a zinc bath underneath to collect the water, would be considered a form of cruelty if offered to a young homemaker today. With close to half of our population living in Dublin City and much of the rest now very much in towns, we have really become quite detached from our rural roots. For no better reason than we should know those old connections, a few hours spent browsing the labyrinth of galleries around the old stables courtyard at Johnstown Castle is well worth the time. But do leave enough time, because you'll be dragged into a rabbit warren of fascination just by reading the old posters. Many of the machines they depict have been superseded by the latest in agricultural technology, but they demonstrate the native ingenuity of a rural Ireland and its people, which underpinned much of what the nation has become today. The past may be yesterday, but it made our tomorrow. I'm Brian Byrne. This is Gagun Diary. Thanks for listening.